What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, June 24th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how was your week? Matt, my week was fantastic. I saw Elvis, the movie, and I literally have not been able to stop playing Elvis around my house, nonstop. So sounds like it was a pretty successful movie for you. <laughs> it was great. It was just like, you need to see this movie for everyone who's, who's like thinking about going. They're like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I'll wait until it comes out on like, um, you know, some streaming platform. Go see this in the theater. And I'm not being paid by Lisa Marie Pre- uh, Presley or Priscilla. <laughs> you need to get like, it's just different impact. Like, it's just like, boom, the music is in your face. You got to get it. Yeah. From the source, play it on a good sound system. Don't play it on some like terrible TV speakers. I bet this is one of those movies where it's worth dishing out the extra bucks for the, what is it, Dolby Dolby surround system or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like the 3D or whatever. I don't know what it is now. But yeah, the anything that you can further your experience in the theater, do it. All right. Noted. Maybe I'll check it out either this weekend or next week or something. Speaking of this weekend, happy Pride weekend to everyone in New York City and everyone else who's, uh, I'm not sure which cities are celebrating where. I'm a little New York-centric on this one, so I know this is a, this is a big weekend for my hometown, and uh, yeah, happy Pride to all those who are celebrating and everyone who's an ally out there. Yes, definitely. Happy Pride, everyone. All right, with that, let's get into the show. We cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right, let's get into our quick hits for the week. So the first one is by Time Magazine's Emily Barone, who writes, U.S. landfills are getting a second life as solar farms. So this article is about brownfields, which are landfills that are capped, and then there's grass planted above that landfill. Um, As you can imagine, with all the garbage underneath, they are still hazardous sites. Uh, What would normally be soil in this case is just compacted garbage. So for that reason, they're not great for development because of health reasons, but also because the ground is a lot more unstable than what compacted soil would be like. So there's a growing movement now to turn brown fields into what are called bright fields, which are basically just solar farms over a brown field. Between 2015 and 2020, 89 megawatts of Brightfield deals had been announced by local governments. In 2021, 207 megawatts across 21 landfill projects were announced. So last year saw double the amount of solar energy development announced compared to the five previous years, and 10 times as much was proposed in 2020. Yeah, it was a huge boom when I saw the graph that they put in this article. You know, I I first had to double check because I thought it might be, oh, this is cumulative. No, they proposed 207 megawatts last year alone. And for reference, 207 megawatts of solar energy should power roughly 20,000 homes. A quote from the article, 
While it's not unheard of for capped landfills to become parks or golf courses, solar farms can be a more feasible alternative as there's no need to prepare or maintain the site to accommodate the public. Yeah, and if all closed landfills were turned into solar farms, they could host 60 gigawatts of solar capacity, which is enough energy to power the entire state of South Carolina. Just absolutely wild statistic there. And you know, it's like, why would we not be on board for something like that then? Yeah, absolutely. So it's worth noting there's a lot more due diligence that's required to develop anything on a brownfield, but there are government programs to offset the cost of brownfield cleanup. Also, you can't put houses over a brownfield. You can't put apartments. You can't put a restaurant. You can't put a giant superstore or a mall. So, look, I mean, this seems like a great use for land that has already been altered to begin with. And, you know, sure, it's not as easy as saying, all right, let's close this up, throw some grass down, throw some panels down. But I do think with local governments trying to hit their clean energy goals, this presents some massive potential. Yeah, like you're not going to use the land for anything else and it's unattractive and it smells bad anyway. (laughs) So just throw some solar panels on it. The solar doesn't care. It's going to do its job no matter what. You might as well just do that instead of completely wasting the land. Yeah, and, and I mean, to your point you can make the land look better, right? Like you can build some artificial rolling hills. You can build a park. You can build a golf course, but... Throw some Kentucky blue down. (laughs) Yeah, we have enough (laughs) parks. We have enough golf courses. We can do something here that really benefits society. Exactly. And, you know, this is probably the one time in my life you're going to hear me say we have enough parks because I (laughs) am about as pro park as it gets, especially in an urban area like New York City. I'm always like, hey, we should put in more parks somewhere. But in this case, you know, over garbage, let's just power some homes. Yeah. Why not, dude? The entire state of South Carolina. How about that one for your ear hole? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to our next one here, and it is titled Largest Thermal Power Plant in France Prevents as Much CO2 as 1,000 Cars Emit from the Decarbonizing Europe team at Innovation Origins. I'm going to mispronounce this, so sorry in advance, but the Bormalt Malting Plant in Isodon in central France has put the largest thermal system in the country into operation, and it produces 10% of the plant's heating needs. Making malt for beer requires a lot of heat, and boar malt wants to both lower its carbon emissions and produce the ingredient sustainably. So this new system is part of a greater plan to lower their emissions by 50% by 2030. Boar malt also aims for better water conservation, sustainable agriculture, and to address health and safety issues. For several years now, Bormalt has been investing in alternative energy sources to reduce CO2 emissions and limit the use of fossil fuels. Tim Fives, the plant manager, says, From the outside, our thermal system looks very similar to a traditional system with solar panels. But water flows through these panels. As a matter of fact, we are not generating electricity, but we are heating water. We don't use that hot water straight away. We use that to heat up air that we use in our processors. This will generate 8.5 gigawatt hours of renewable, low-carbon heat per year, which avoids 2,100 tons of CO2 emissions. Yeah, I think solar hot water is a really, really interesting application of it. I know that solar heating is uh, is pretty popular in certain parts of the world where access to electricity isn't as uh, prevalent and the sun is shining year-round anyway, so might as well put <laughs> it to use. 
Uh, I think this is a really cool application of solar heat. And, you know, when you put the numbers on it and say they're going to avoid 2,100 tons of CO2 emissions per year, why not? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like this is kind of a an overarching movement for like the whole spirits and, and beer industry. Like they've taken a lot of steps. I know um, Beam Suntory and they were doing, I think we had a story on this podcast actually about how they're um, fighting climate change and reducing their water usage. I don't know if we did. So maybe that's something we could look into for uh, next week. <laughs> I feel like we did. I, maybe it wasn't them specifically, but we'll check the, the archives. <laughs> yeah, I'll check. You know what? I might just do it right now. <laughs> While Nick is looking that one up, uh, this does remind me of another company that we definitely haven't talked about on the show before. New Belgium Brewery. Uh, New Belgium is personally my favorite brewery. They make a bunch of my favorite beers. Shout out Fat Tire. Shout out Voodoo Ranger. Um, but they had an announcement a few years ago that Fat Tire had become the world's first carbon neutral beer. You know, New Belgium has really good environmental stances. They do a ton of work to support the LGBTQ plus community, the racial justice movement, and just overall workers' rights. So generally love that this company that I like their product also has really good ethics. So so just wanted to give them a shout out here and maybe we could hear about some more carbon neutral beers moving forward. Yeah, and I can't find it right now, but um, I'm in agreement with you. It is great when like a company that you like or whatever use, whatever service you have is on the right side of, of everything that you support. It's usually the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of Ben and Jerry right now. Yeah. Um, that's a great example, but yeah, it is great. I'm going to look this up for another time though, that, that beam Suntory thing. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> hey, if you're wrong, we will correct that next week and talk about it. So, uh, <laughs> if you haven't heard about Suntory beam yet, next week's your episode, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Our next quick hit is from NPR, where Laura Benshoff writes, U.S. House passes a major wildlife conservation spending bill. The bill was aimed to protect several endangered species and passed on a 231 to 190 margin last Tuesday. The Recovering America's Wildlife Act would create $1.3 billion in annual funding for states, territories, and tribal nations for wildlife conservation. This is seen as a boost to 1973's Endangered Species Act, which does not include funding to be proactive about maintaining species numbers. Democrat Debbie Dingell from Michigan mentioned how roughly one-third of U.S. wildlife is at an increased risk of extinction, which is why this bill was pursued by House Democrats. Over 1,600 species in the United States are either endangered or threatened, and state agencies say that seven times as many species are in need of conservation assistance. Yeah, species loss can destroy food chains, increase coastal and land erosion, and decrease biodiversity. The bill would require that 15% of all conservation money go to restoring populations of federally listed endangered species, which is great. Yeah, I think this is a, this is an important bill. And, you know, I'm, I'm always glad to see something like this come up where we're talking about wildlife conservation and a lot of people are going to see that $1.3 billion price tag. It's really important here to talk about ecosystem services and how much each species ends up providing us if we were to try to monetize, you know, pollination, if we were to try to monetize beavers and how they can kind of create natural dams and help a river flow. Like there's things that wildlife do that isn't always talked about when we're talking about money here. 
And I think that's going to be important to get people behind this because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who think, well, I don't care about this species of butterfly. I care about the fact that my tax dollars are going towards paying for this. So we got to show people the worth and we got to show people that this isn't something you're paying for. It's kind of a return on investment where we protect them and all of a sudden, a lot of other things are going to be cheaper, such as your vegetables, your fruits, anything that gets pollinated. Like we protect butterflies, we protect bees, we protect birds. The cost of fruits and vegetables stays lower. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. It makes total sense. It's it's something that people always will get frustrated over spending any money towards like wildlife or any conservation or or even just climate change in general. I feel like some people will just get upset over that. Mm hmm. You need to think about the cost of, and we've talked about this countless times on the show, but you need to think about the cost that we're avoiding, you know, the future, yeah. the future costs down the line, opportunity costs, as they say in economics. Yeah, exactly. The White House says that it strongly supports the goals of this bill, and there is companion legislation in the Senate with 16 GOP cosigners. It's known in the Senate as S-2372, if you want to look it up. And as a reminder, if all 50 Democratic senators vote on this bill, it would only need 10 Republicans to pass in the Senate. So uh, that 16 number is looking pretty good to me. <laughs> it sure is. All right, Nick, you know what else is looking pretty good to me? A break right about now. <laughs> when we get back, two more quick hits to send you on your way. Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. the planet today folks and next up environmental groups sue biden to block 3500 oil and gas drilling permits by cnbc's emma newberger a coalition of environmental groups sued the biden administration in an effort to stop more than 3500 permit applications from energy companies to drill for oil and gas on federal lands the groups argued that the administration has not considered the damage that CO2 emissions from drilling actually does to endangered species. The groups also said that burning fossil fuels is damaging endangered and vulnerable species, and by approving permits, the Biden administration is approving up to 600 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions. As a reminder, President Biden had originally tried to commit to his campaign promise to suspend new drilling on federal lands, 
but that was kind of all thrown away after legal challenges from GOP-led states. And of course, our friends over at the oil industry. I used friends very loosely. (laughs) The Biden administration has encouraged companies to increase drilling as energy prices increase. The administration has argued that they can produce more energy by using some of the 9,000 unused and available permits. Oil and gas industry representatives said that multiple rounds of environmental analysis are conducted before an oil and gas permit on public land is issued, and that environmental groups have several opportunities to file suit during various stages of planning. Two quick points. So I have a hard time showing sympathy, really at all, ever, for oil and gas companies to begin with, but... Look, at a time right now where gas is extremely expensive and you have Exxon, Shell, BP, etc., all pulling in record profits, it's just disingenuous. Like it's price gouging, it's corporate greed, it's it's whatever you want to call it. So Mm -hmm. I don't really feel bad that they're like, oh, that's not fair. Environmental groups have their chance to talk. Like, yeah. Whatever. (laughs) My second point is that. The multiple rounds of environmental analyses almost always overlook the externalities associated with gas. Like We've talked about this on the show, but gas leaks are always, always, always underestimated. And they always happen. Yeah. No, absolutely. And listen, it's been a rough week for Biden. He fell off a bike <laughs> over the weekend. And now he's getting sued by environmental groups. This has not been an easy week for Biden whatsoever. And partly I feel bad because we are in such a difficult time right now with the, with the, you know, with our dependence on, Mm -hmm. on overseas oil. And it's tough to say, don't drill. Ultimately it's going to come down to people need to get to work. Yeah. And like if, if they're having to spend astronomical amounts of money on just literally gas to get to their car or sorry, to get to, to get to work. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to see more and more people try and work local or try and work online, and that's ultimately going to have a really bad effect on the job market. Yeah, I mean, that definitely benefits people like me. It doesn't benefit you know, people who are working in construction where you, you can't work from home. You need to be on a site if you're going to be building a home, for example. Yeah. To your point, though, I mean, the thing about drilling here is it's mostly an optics thing because if we were to start approving these permits... It's not like the oil in the ground would come up tomorrow and get put into people's cars. Like this is something where you approve these permits and the return doesn't come for another two, three years. Yeah. Because it takes time to start planning the site out, blocking everything off, actually drilling, refining. Like this isn't something where drilling in Alaska is gonna fix gas prices by right. Sunday. Right. So I think the whole thing of approving these permits, it's more of an optics thing because people want to see, okay, my gas prices in my car Mm -hmm. or for my car rather are pretty high right now. What is someone doing to fix it? And this looks like a fix, even if it's not. So I think that's the the issue with gas permits here. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you. I, I, you're right. It is an optics thing. Ultimately, I think it's more about like just pulling away our dependence from (laughs) oil and gas as a whole, right? Exactly. Oil and gas as a whole. One more quick thing. You you brought up the bike. I didn't know if we were going to be talking about this on the show, but did you see the the thing after where reporters asked him about it? I was like, oh my god, why is this? No, I was like, I why is this? That. Why is this interview happening? Um, actually, cracked me up. He leaned in and he was talking about the like, clip on pedals, and he was just like, 
yeah, so my right foot got locked in the clip on pedal. If you've ever ridden a bike, like I'm sure you know what that's like. He's like, and I don't know if you noticed this. And he leans in and whispers into the camera. I fell off and then he sprung back up and he was like, I was fine though. And gave a double thumbs up. And I was like, damn, that was like pretty good PR. <laughs> good spin zone. Love that. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. Like we did. We did. It was pretty viral. All right. Our last quick hit of the week is from the Hill where Alex Matricho writes massive heat dome to bring extra hot weather to nearly every state. All right. In case you didn't notice it was hot this week, and it's going to be hot this weekend. A massive heat dome spread across the continental U.S. and pushed temperatures into the triple digits for some cities. This article estimated that over 100 high temperature records could be broken by the time this heat wave passes. This upcoming weekend looks like the high 80s for me as of right now, so that's about 10 degrees hotter than personally I would like. But, you know, it is what it is. Nick, what is uh, Rhode Island looking like for you? Um, this weekend, it's supposed to get up to like 80s, like mid 80s, mid to low 80s. I think we're always kind of just a little bit lower than uh, New York, like the city. But yeah, it hasn't been like an insanely hot summer so far over here. We haven't gone. I don't think we even even got to like 90 yet. It's been somewhat moderate right now. Well, it looks like a good beach weather for you this weekend, at least. Yeah, we're absolutely going to be hitting it. So some areas are going to be extremely humid as well, including the southeast Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Meteorologists predict this heat wave could continue until 4th of July weekend, so unfortunately it'll likely be hot for next Friday's episode as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a quick check-in. We'll remind everyone to hydrate, and then we'll get right into the show. But yeah, it's wild how hot it's going to get. So on Monday, Minneapolis officials said to predict roads buckling due to the heat index there reaching 107. Ooh. Keep in mind that's Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, Fargo, North Dakota reached the high 90s this week, and that's a city that's known for its extremely cold winters. So, look, I mean, we're talking about everywhere in the country pretty much, aside from a few other places, if you want to take a look where on this map. You know, it's it's not going to be insanely hot. You can check out the article in the show notes, but it's going to be pretty hot pretty much everywhere. Yeah, Fargo, North Dakota is about as north as you can get besides maybe Canada. And high 90s is terrifying. I think about the story we had like last year about Siberia being extremely Siberia, hot. Yeah. That's terrifying. But yeah, definitely make sure to hydrate, stay in the shade or get to your air conditioners if you can. And before we go, we wanted to briefly talk about what a heat dome is. And you might remember us talking about a heat dome last year during wildfire season in the U.S. West. If not, or if you need a refresher, a heat dome is basically when the atmosphere serves as a lid on top of a pot of water on your stove. The high pressure air is going to help keep hot air inside the dome region, meaning that it's going to get hotter. It's going to get hotter faster and it's going to stay hot. Yeah, and a heat dome also prevents other weather systems from moving in and forcing out the heat. So you kind of just need to wait for it to pass over. You're basically stuck in limbo. Think of like the Simpsons movie. <laughs> it's my nightmare. I'm, I'm a cold weather guy. I'd, give me give me fall where I could wear a, a sweatshirt. You know, I, it's always good to bundle up. When I'm just sitting there sweating, that's where I'm most miserable. <laughs> Dude, this weekend I saw this guy at the beach, literally just like, it was like 80 degrees. And he was just sitting wearing a sweatshirt. And I'm like, how 
are you doing this right now? I, I don't know how you could possibly sit in 85 degree weather in the sun. He was not under like an umbrella or anything. He was in the sun wearing a, a sweatshirt. I was like, I would simply pass out. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to be hydrating like three times as much as you normally would be if you're wearing a sweatshirt in the sun. True. Hey, that's our challenge for this weekend. If you're a listener, hydrate three times as much as normal because it's going to be a hot one and we care about you here. So yes. hydrate. We want to see you on the Monday episode. So just, <laughs> just drink water, please. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. On Monday, we're going to be back for a conversation about Salt Lake City, Utah's dust problem. Yeah. So the Great Salt Lake is drying up and we're going to break down what that means. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all of those lovely tunes you hear throughout. Nick, where can people hear more from you? You can hear more from me on soundcloud.com slash Cape, And that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. And I'm going to go ahead and release a remix this weekend. So definitely check it out. Oh, hell yeah. New Bud Cape music. (laughs) Our logo is made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.